You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Kush Parikh and Corey Johnson. Be sure to check us out weekly on Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with the podcast on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds. Instagram at the nosebleeds and on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Yo, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleed Podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy, Kush, and I'm here with my co-host, as always, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey, how you doing, my man? So good, so good, so good. Um, It's just glad to be back here talking sports with you, my man. Long weekend, long week in general, but got through it. On to the next, on to the next, but back at it again on the Nosebleeds podcast. And man, we got something to talk about. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Let's start off with the NFL since the divisional round just wrapped up. If you guys haven't been tuning in, we've been on Twitter with Milton Sports Corner. We have a little playoff pick competition going on with the five of us. And so far, the standings are... Curtis at nine and one, he's been scorching. Uh, he's only got one wrong. He he played it perfect in the divisional round. We got Kyle and Corey tied at second, six and four. Me, I'm at five and five. And then we got Cody at four and six. I think Curtis, he pretty much clinched at least a tie for the first spot with yeah. how I hot mean, he's been right Awesome. all like, he needs is Bills versus <laughs> freaking Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. And it's like and we're going to be getting that Bills Mafia broken table. <laughs> hey, I'm ready to see that. That would be hilarious. Well, let's get into our picks that we made in the divisional round and uh, a recap of some of these games. Let's start off with the first game we had on Saturday, which was the Rams versus the Packers. Packers had this, their way against the number one defense. They won 32 to 18, which is honestly a really scary sight for every other team in the NFL. Well, there's only three more remaining other than them but it's it's a scary sight for those other teams what were your thoughts on this game uh you could clearly see that Aaron Donald was not the same player he wasn't really able to give 100 percent uh you could tell that he was being neutralized and by the Rams not being able to really have a pass rush and you're allowing one of if not potentially the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history to just be able to pick your defense apart in Aaron Rodgers that's a recipe for disaster. And it wasn't just him finding Devontae Adams, who he found him for a touchdown, but he was finding Lazard. I mean, like, bro, he was just just picking apart this Rams defense that looked really dominant and had looked really dominant throughout the entire season for the most part. But Aaron Rodgers, again, just making it look so simple and so easy. And I think uh, he was – by far, I think the difference maker in this game, if Jared Goff would have even been a smidgen, small, tiny percentage of what Aaron Rodgers was, it still wouldn't have been anything different, in my opinion, which is why I picked the Packers to win. Yeah, it just seems like Aaron Rodgers is like fine wine. He seems to get better with age, especially with how he played against the Rams defense, which was ranked number one in the NFL. 
Um, but he definitely had help from Aaron Jones. He had himself a hell of a start to the second half with that 60 yard run. But for the Rams, I mean, despite playing in the cold and Jared Goff's injury to his thumb, he played pretty well. But you could definitely tell that he was missing his favorite target in Cooper Cup, which definitely hurt them. And then Cam Akers, he did a hell of a job. Uh, and it looks like they might have found their franchise running back in him, barring if he stays healthy. But overall, I think it's going to be awfully awfully hard for any nfl defense to stop this packers offense and they might have just moved up to be the favorites to win the super bowl um and as for the rams i think heading into the offseason if they are fully invested in jared goff i think they're gonna get it need to get a younger offensive line because their offense line is pretty old and uh, just retain their guys on defense really and uh i think they'll be able to potentially still contend yeah, it's interesting that you say, like, if they're invested with Jared Goff because the rumors are sw- already swirling around that McVay's his relationship with Goff is already severed and kind of, like, he's ready to move on from him. And then, like, they, they made the Super Bowl, what was it, like, a few years ago? It doesn't even feel like it was that long ago. But, I mean, how quickly things change in sports because it's like a year feels like three to five years in sports and how quickly things can turn around. And it's like, yo, Jared Goff was – just diamond and looking like he was ready to you know secure himself as one of the best young up-and-coming quarterbacks and now he could be without a team if uh McVay has his say about it so their relationship is gonna have to get back on track or they're gonna you know try to make something happen maybe they try to you know flip him in a trade for Houston try to see if they can maybe snag uh Deshaun Watson I mean uh, there's going to be a lot of interesting things going on with the Rams going into the offseason. I think the Rams keep them at least for next year. They try to run it back, see what the deal is. And then if things don't work, then maybe they move on just because from a contract standpoint, it's going to be really hard to move his contract. And, Especially with the cap hit. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if it seemed like the Texans would want him when they can definitely get other pieces from other teams. So it's very true. It's it'll very be true. interesting. And then the second game we had on Saturday was the Ravens versus the Bills, which was supposed to be a shootout on paper, but it was a defensive matchup, which honestly no one expected. The over-under for this game was set at 49.5 points. Both teams combined for a total of 20 points. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, the Bills won 17-3. to three. Uh, They say defense wins championships, and for one team that was the case, and for the other team that was not the case. And uh, you can definitely point to the weather as one of the reasons why defense uh, was a big part of this game, just because I think winds were something like 30 miles an hour mm-hmm. over there. And then they had a uh, snow showers right before the game started, but um, the bills, they only scored 10 points all game long. Stephon Diggs was really only their bright spot. And this team uh, seemed to be relying on him every time Josh Allen needed him. So he definitely came through and their defense stood tall in the red zone forcing the Ravens to go 0-3 in the red zone, including a game-changing pick six by Lamar Jackson, which is actually his first career interception in the red zone. So it's crazy that the Bills did that and the timing that happened. Yeah, and, what a hell of a time to throw your first pick. In the right. And then as for the Ravens, their defense looked championship caliber. I'm, oh, absolutely. I'm, their defense was amazing. They held... They've held two of the top three offenses with the most yards in the regular seasons under 220 yards. So, I mean, their defense showed up this playoffs, but this offense, I mean, seems to be their problem 
back-to-back years in the playoffs. It seems like no adjustments were made all game long. Credit to the Bills for making the adjustments to uh, throw the Ravens off their game. But, I mean, the Ravens put themselves in multiple positions to win this game. It doesn't help, obviously, when Justin Tucker misses two field goals. But, I mean, Mm -hmm. they just couldn't execute in the red zone. And it just seems like they were so predictable. Uh, The Bills were just predicting the plays that were coming up. And even when they did seem like they were marching, they would get somewhere a part of their drive. They just become stagnant, and that's that would be their downfall. And that's why they didn't score a single touchdown in this entire game. What were your thoughts on this game? I think there were several different plays that uh, I felt like were the definition of this game. Um, The Tucker missed field goals. Those were some plays that I felt like were important. The, the miss by uh, Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs running down the sideline, had he connected with that, that would have been a big time play. That would have been a touchdown Huntley missing Hollywood Brown, that would have been a touchdown. And that, that's uh, what I mean by what there was a factor because they yeah. were overthrowing their receivers like crazy. Yeah. Andrews being wide open and Lamar not being able to. And it was the play just before the pick six, too. That, like, when I went back and watched it again, I was like, bro, this cannot be serious. Like, it was the play just before the pick six. And he just couldn't find him in the back of the. And he was, would have been wide open, waltz into the end zone. But overall, I think that. Um, uh, I, I think that the the Ravens, this is going to sound kind of weird, but I feel like the Ravens for a large majority of the game, like you said, Kush had their opportunities and they definitely at certain points controlled the game. But um, I think what the Bills, it was that they were just a little bit more efficient, if that makes sense. And I think that they were able to put themselves in better positions and they were able to to get points when they needed it. And so it was a defensive game. Um, and unfortunately the Ravens, you know, they did their job defensively sucks that Lamar went down with the concussion, um, would have loved to have seen him try to like lead the team back, even though they were down three to, you know, 17, because honestly, they still were in the game, believe it or not, even though they were down by that deficit, they were still in it. Had he not gone down with the injury, I think, because if they go down that drive, score a touchdown, it's, it's, who knows what happens? Well, yeah, because Huntley, he missed Andrews for that touchdown, and then they ended up getting that three and out, but then they got the rough and the kicker on the punt, which ended the game, basically. But, I mean, if they let that punt go through, it's a one-score game, and, I mean, it's anybody's ball game at that point. But I think for the Ravens, I mean, I don't want to give Lamar Jackson a pass because it's starting – I don't want to give him any more excuses, but, I mean, it definitely doesn't help when you have botched snaps. <laughs> the snaps are going over your head, rolling past you, and you're having to run back 15 yards just to throw it away or even just secure the ball. And yeah, then not only – was bad. Yeah, and then not only that, but, like, he just didn't have time through the middle, and I think that's going to be some of the major needs for the Ravens this offseason is getting interior offensive linemen who can protect up the middle because you you're basically have one of the best tackle tandems in the NFL with Ronnie Stanley when he comes back from his injury in uh, Orlando Brown. But, I mean, up that middle, they're missing Marshall Yonda like crazy. And then wide receivers, I mean, Hollywood did play pretty well, but – other than Hollywood, you really have nobody creating separation. So it's yeah, tough. I mean, I mean Sneed, yeah, he had like a couple catches that I saw, but 
that's not going to be enough though. They need yeah, the Ravens never, need yeah. someone like the what the Bills did and got went out and get got themselves a Stephon Diggs. Stephon that's Diggs, what yeah. that's they what the Ravens need to do. Like, yeah, they need like a legit number one wide receiver, which could happen. I mean, there's going to be a lot of uh, you know uh, guys out there that they could maybe target. So I think um, going into this off season though, that that you know the offensive side is going to be you know something that they're going to focus on. I think. Um, probably the key is is, is going to be whether or not the defense is going to have that same momentum because like I said I mean the, they were pounded on the first drive of the game Kush like they pounded it and got what two consecutive first downs with the rock on the ground so I mean the Bills you know run defense was not as good and I think if Lamar would have been able to bust out a run here and there that would have been able to you know but credit to the Bills defense they were ready for him they didn't allow him to get out of the pocket and make any sort of thing happen so I think them containing Lamar and really forcing him to have to put the ball in the air played into the the, the climate and, and it played into the circumstances. He did the best that I think he could. If Tucker makes the field goals, if he doesn't throw the pick six, I mean, you know, this ball game is different, but then on the same tandem, I mean, I feel like you could say the same thing about the Bills. They've had their opportunities too. So overall, I think it was a really interesting, you know, defensive battle. But I feel like the team that I picked, you know, and expected to win ultimately did do their job. And I feel like the Bills went on, went ahead and, you know, they handled their business there. All right, let's move on. We had the first game on Sunday. We had the Browns versus the Chiefs, which was probably the craziest game of the weekend. <laughs> uh, the Chiefs had the lead, and uh, but it looked like their backs were against the wall in that second half, especially when Patrick Mahomes went down with a concussion. But uh, their defense and Chad Henney did enough to beat the Browns 22-17. to What were your thoughts on this game? Um, I, think, uh, I think some people were probably surprised by this um i said it would be close but i felt like the chiefs were gonna you know pull away and ultimately win by 10 points but i just felt like um i wasn't shocked based off what i saw the browns do of the steelers that this game was as close as it was and that the browns had a potential chance of winning the game i think the 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 crucial thing will will be um that the play on which the fumble occurs, you clearly do see a helmet to helmet. So, you know, whether the referees, you know, couldn't at that point, you know, throw a flag there or review it. It's one of the interesting things in the NFL because it's like you can't go back and then throw a flag once the play is already dead. It's like it's not like VAR in soccer where it's like, oh, you can go ahead and change the call. It's like, you know, so I'm, I'm curious if like, they decide to kind of like do that in the future or they're just going to, you know, sky judge kinda... like the yeah, XFL. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that would be interesting. I don't know if they, if the NFL is going to go ahead and do that, but ultimately I was impressed by the Browns. I think this season is going to be um, promising. I think the fact also that you go into this off season and you have Kevin Stefanski as the head coach for the first time ever, Baker Mayfield has uh, 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 the same head coach going into the off season. So consistency is going to be the key for the Browns. And I think that they need to get used to winning. Like this was a good winning season for them. It'll be interesting, you know, to see them healthy again with OBJ back in the fold and see how dangerous they can be as a fully healthy squad. Um, I'm interested to see what Baker Mayfield can do. Cause I feel like he kind of missed an opportunity to maybe even go ahead and go above and beyond expectations. Cause had he led them, you know, down the field for a, la- a late game winning drive, 
you know, everybody talks about how the Browns had the drive on them. Baker could have had the drive of the century for Browns history. Could have fully erased everybody thinking about that drive uh, against them. It could have been, you know, Baker could have had his moment in the sunshine, but unfortunately it wasn't meant to be. But overall, I think that the Chiefs yet again did just enough to be able to get by. Um, didn't look great, but uh, I think that they were just able to hold on for dear life. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't have to be pretty. Sometimes you just have to go ahead and just win a game. But kudos to Andy Reid going for it on that fourth and inches. Did the same exact play they did earlier against Miami in the season. <laughs> you know, hit Tyreek Hill going into that route and let him go ahead and get you the first down. So, I mean, uh, gutsy call and ultimately a smart move that ended up closing out the ball game. So, I mean, uh, I think it was just a missed opportunity here for the Browns and they didn't take hold of it. And the chiefs, like I said, got away with one. Yeah. And I think Mahomes showed that two weeks off for him wasn't a problem because he was off to a hot start. They went out, got a 19, three first half lead. And it wasn't until really the second half of the game that the Browns really got their run game starting. Cause I think, Nick Chubb only had 18 yards on the ground in the first half, so that definitely hurt them. But I think, obviously, we all know the tempo of the entire game changed when Mahomes got hurt and the Browns had momentum and seized that opportunity trying to come back. But then, obviously, that Harrison Butker 33-yard field goal and then Chad Henney, like you said, the ultimate gutsy call by Andy Reid. First on on that third down, getting it to fourth and inches, and then on uh, fourth and inches, getting that ball to Tyreek Hill for him to get that first down it was just it was a crazy game all around and a hell of an ending but um like you said for the browns honestly i think their offense really really promising especially with a head coach returning um and i think they honestly might be one of the top tier offenses next season and that's with or without kareem hunt because he may go to free agency go to another team and then whatever they decide to do with obj whether they decide to keep him trade him whatever the case may be um but I think their biggest need for them is going to be their defense. They just got to bolster up that defense, get better coverage, linebackers, and a better secondary, which honestly, I think they do have those pieces, but a lot of those pieces were injured this year. So they'll be having guys I mean, return. And then, allow, yeah, when you allow a backup quarterback on third and 13 to go on a run like that, I mean, no disrespect, Chad, any, but I mean, Brown's defense they are going to be kicking themselves all off season. Like, bro, how do we let this man go on a crazy 10 plus yard run on us like that when we should have held firm yeah. and been able to get a punt off and get our offense, the ball back. Like, I feel like, like you said, the third down was more impressive than the fourth down because there's no way that he should have been able to get that, but he did. So yeah. Well, it reminded so me the of the, of when Mahomes did that run in the playoffs, I think, I forget who it was against, but he had like this 10 plus yard run. I'm like, how is he doing this? I think it was against the Tennessee Titans last year. I'm like, how is he doing this? Like somebody hit him. Like he can't yeah. just let him just run. And he's not even looking like he's going that fast. He's just yeah, that's the crazy thing about Mahomes is he, he doesn't really look that athletic, but somehow gets it done. Just goes ahead and waltzes past you, but hey, Chiefs, get it done. And then we have the second game on Sunday, the Buccaneers versus the Saints, the History Channel game, proved to show that third time's a charm because the Bucs beat the Saints in their third matchup of the season after losing the first two. And honestly, <laughs> I feel like the Saints are the Ravens of the NFC. Like, look so good in the regular season, look like they're contenders, but just disappoint in the playoffs. And that's how it's been the past couple of years for both those teams. And Drew Brees, 
didn't have a night to remember. Throwing three interceptions, but credit to this Bucks defense because they should forced four turnovers and uh, held the Saints under 300 yards. So that kind of allowed Tom Brady and the Buccaneers offense to not have to work too hard to put up 30 points on the board, but they did and they won 32-20. What were your thoughts on this game? I mean, Breeze obviously having a very bad game, but Kush, I mean, uh, the shocking thing that I want to ask you about is if I would have told you before the season started that Michael Thomas would have zero touchdowns this entire season you would think i was crazy wouldn't you yeah well 100 i mean like yo the my man had no touchdowns the entire season i mean he missed a few games don't get me wrong but i'm like dang well he Michael had one last Thomas. week he had one last week okay okay but In i'm the, just saying like for the majority yeah. of the season the dude didn't have no 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 end zones no end zone visits i'm like yeah. yo that's crazy i legitimately think yeah. there's there michael thomas and drew Brees were beefing in this season, I legitimately I mean, I think they were. I wouldn't be surprised because because if you I, look at last year, he broke the record for most receptions, which obviously means you have to have a shit ton of targets. Of and course. I mean, and I know he missed a, a big amount of the season, but still, when Michael Thomas was available, Drew Brees, especially in this Buccaneers game, he wasn't uh, looking for him. Exactly. So, I mean, like he wasn't even looking his way. And the 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 most funny thing about this entire game to me is the fact that the biggest play for the Saints this game didn't even come from Drew Brees. He came from Jameis Winston, who had one pass for 56 yards. It was a touchdown. It was crazy because I was actually watching it with Milton Sports Corner. I was, I was at their place watching the game. And as soon as Jameis checked into the game, I said, this is either an interception or a touchdown. Nothing in between. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing in between. It's either an interception or a touchdown. Lo and behold, it was a 56-yard touchdown. And it was actually the same play that the Bears tried to run on them the week prior, but it actually ended up working out for, for uh, the Saints this time. So, I mean, like, hey, th- my thing is if this was Drew Brees' last game, you hate to see it, bro. You really do. Cause I mean, it just felt like I was watching a funeral out there for the saints. It was like, it, it was like every single time the bucks did something positive, they, they, the, the saints just looked befuddled. Like they didn't know what to do. And I can't even really say that this was a game. It just felt like the saints was literally giving the game to the bucks. It's like, it was like, yo, this was supposed to be hyped up as Breeze versus Brady. And it just felt like it was only Brady on the field that I kept seeing over and over and over again. I mean, the Saints did run into a little bad luck with that uh, Harris punt return touchdown that was called back. And then with the Michael Thomas touchdown, that didn't count. But I mean, yeah, it was the the Bucks definitely looked like the better team, especially defensively. Because, boy, let me tell you, Devin White. Devin yeah. White is a how he wasn't a pro brother. I don't know. Yeah, insane. A middle linebacker getting nine sacks is absolutely insane. And then the guy is just an absolute monster. Only in his second year in the NFL, and this kid is destined for stardom. So Buccaneers definitely got themselves a good one. But for the Saints, like you said, could be Drew Brees' last game ever. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Michael Thomas's last game as a Saint. They they'll definitely be a team to watch this offseason. Yeah, and especially like if this if this was Drew Brees' last uh game, I mean, if you're the Saints, is your future Taysom Hill? Is it Jameis Winston or is it a, a totally different quarterback um that you gotta be looking for? Are you looking to maybe move up in the draft to maybe try to get Justin Fields? I'm like, what's the play if you're the Saints organization right now? Because 
you're talking about a team that is we penciled them in year after year to you know not only get to the playoffs but to be a Super Bowl contender and it's just like year after year these past four years have been like just astonishing at the fact that they have come up so short and have just had a miracle dropped on their head uh, a no call pass interference uh, <laughs> Who no call so passing many, interferences? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they they they've had so many so much quote unquote bad luck, but on the same time, they put themselves in those positions. So on one end, I feel bad that those things happen to them, but I'm like, you create your own misery. So it's like I, I can't really fully feel bad for the Saints because it's like, dude, you keep doing this to yourself. Once is like, dang, like after the Minnesota America, I was like, dang, I feel bad. But after that, it's like, yo, you keep doing this to yourself. So I'm like, yo, but hey, you bet against Tom Brady in the playoffs, I get burned. And that's what happened to me, y'all. Like, Tom Brady, he came up clutch. I ain't going to even, hey, I'm not even going to act like this is nothing even new. So, I mean. I think Curtis was the only one in our group that had the Bucks yeah, winning that. I, I think he did. Because I was thinking, like, they were going to come into this game and Drew Brees was just going to do Drew Brees stuff. So, but ultimately, when you can't throw the ball down the field, you kind of really make your offense limited in what you can do. And they just, once they got down, they couldn't come back. So, yeah. Well, let's move on to the championship matchups and the conferences. Uh, now we got the Bucks and the Packers, which are going to be the first game played on Sunday. I think this is the matchup we've all been waiting for for all these years. I, finally I happening. Wish- I wish this would have been the second game, honestly, because I felt like this should have been the prime time game. But hey, it is what it is. I mean, it's a Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> you can't. It's a Sunday. It's not like it's a weekday. But yeah, I get you. Um, and that's Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. Two teams that, honestly, in my opinion, I think have all the pieces to win the Super Bowl. But it'll come down to which team executes better. Um, currently, the Packers are a three-point favorite. So, who do you have winning this game? Uh, I know I just said, like, you got to be careful betting against Tom Brady, and <laughs> I'm about to do it again. <laughs> I'm going with the Packers, man. I, I just feel like unless Aaron Rodgers just goes ahead and pulls a Drew Brees performance, uh, I think that the Packers have the advantage because I feel like personally, personally, I feel like he is a weapon on his own because of the fact that he can create instant offense and the fact that he has uh, – he has he yes he has um uh, he has Devonte Adams that he can throw to but at the same time they do still have that that you know the 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 running game that you have to play honest with because Aaron Jones he's solid and I feel like if you get caught in a situation where you commit way too much to trying to stop Rodgers stop Rodgers I think you'll free up some space to where the running game could, for the Packers could you know maybe get out and do some damage for him but. This is all going to come down to can the Buccaneers still have that same level of defensive effort that they had against the Saints. If they come out and they are really putting it down on the Packers, this could be a very interesting game. And if it's close, then, you know, you would say that maybe plays into Brady's hands. But I think that ultimately uh, this is going to be a close one. But I think that the Packers pull it out and I'm hoping we see overtime here. So for me, I, for the Bucks, I think they have they have the best run defense in the NFL. So they're gonna make Rodgers throw, but 
then again, that may not be a good thing <laughs> for the Buccaneers. Um, and then Antonio Brown's game status. I think that's going to be the big story going into this game because he's questionable to play this game. And he really frees up Mike Evans and Godwin, which uh, Tom Brady absolutely loves. And even himself, he can do damage. Um, and then for the Packers, defensively, don't need to contain Ronald Jones and Fournette because they looked good against uh, the Saints, who have a really good run defense. And the Packers' run defense is not the greatest. So <laughs> if they let Ronald Jones and Fournette have their own and let the Bucks control the tempo of this game, that's going to be very, very tough on the Packers. And I can definitely see the Bucks winning um, just if they can keep Aaron Rodgers off the field. But offensively, I don't. They, they cannot let the Bucks secondary, like you said, do what they did to the Saints. but And they'll need A.J. Dillon to be healthy because he's more of their bruising back. So I think he's going to help wear down this uh, Bucks run defense to allow Aaron Jones to run on them. But <sighs> such a hard game to pick because, <laughs> like, I, I feel like whoever wins this game is going to win the Super Bowl, and both mm. teams are capable of that. But... Ultimately, I, I got to ride with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I think they're going to pull this one off just because I'm not going to get bet against Aaron Rodgers, who I think should be the MVP of uh, this season. I mean, I think I agree with you as far as like I would say the, the team who wins this, I think coming out of this game will be looked at as the favorite to win the Super Bowl, especially because we don't know what's happening with Mahomes. Um, and uh, as far as like his status on how if he's going to be able to be anything close to 100% going forward after his concussion. But ultimately, I think that this game could almost be like a Super Bowl matchup in itself. You know what right. I mean? Like, and this would be such a, a matchup where it's like, uh, like such a heavy hitter matchup that both of these teams might burn each other out after going at it that, you know, yes, there will be plenty of rest in between, you know, of whoever wins moving on to the Super Bowl. But at the same time, you know, I think that whoever's going to come out of this might be a wounded warrior going into the Super Bowl, to be honest with you. All right. Now we have the other matchup on Sunday, which is the Bills versus the Chiefs. The one and two seed in the AFC will face off in Kansas City. Obviously, biggest story of the game is whether Mahomes will play or not. Uh, the Chiefs are currently three point favorites. Uh, in order for Mahomes to play, he has to pass the concussion protocol, which is there's five phases to it. The first one is basically daily living, if you can do that with no problem. Second one is exercising, more aerobics exercises. Third one is football-specific workouts, so more like drills or running and stuff like that. Fourth is non-contact team practices. And then the fifth phase and the final phase is a full contact practice, which will allow him to be cleared. But even though the Bills offense hasn't been playing what they how they've been playing in the regular season, if Mahomes isn't playing, I still think the Bills are going to win this game. But I honestly don't see me personally. I really don't think Mahomes is going to play. I know everyone's like it's the biggest game of, of their season. He has to play. But I read the stat that the median days missed by quarterbacks who have been concussed from 2015 to 2019 is seven days. And the days between the game that Mahomes got injured and the next game is seven days. So seeing his injury, and I don't know if you saw it and how it looked, the mm. homeboy looked like he legit blacked out. Yeah. <laughs> and like he had to be picked up by his lineman. So yeah. I don't think it's going to bode well for him. And I honestly don't see him playing. And you may say, like I said, it's, it's, this is for an appearance in the Super Bowl. He has to play. And I'm going to say that if he's not 100% clear, the doctors, especially Kansas City's 
it will not clear him. And the reason why I say especially Kansas City is because those five phases that I mentioned for the concussion protocols, Kansas City's athletic trainer was one of the people who came up with that entire protocol that the entire NFL uh, mm. uses. So that's why I think that if, if he's not 100%, they're not going to play him. And especially because you just spent half a billion dollars on this guy. I was just about to guy. say that. I was just about to say you that. You just spent half a billion dollars on this guy. And if he misses one game in one year, I don't think it's going to be that detrimental. Mm. I mean, yeah, it is going to suck if you end up losing when you had a shot at back-to-back Super Bowls. But what's going to be detrimental is if he gets concussed again in the game or if he comes back and uh, he pulls a Kawhi Leonard and basically says, you misdiagnosed me. I don't trust this organization. I want to trade. Then what? You think that one game was worth it? Yes. So that, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't think Mahomes will play unless if he's fully like 100 percent, then, yeah, I don't see why he doesn't play. But I don't think he will be. And I think this Chiefs defense, I think they're good. And also they're most likely going to be getting Clyde Edwards a back. But I just don't think Chad Henney's going to be able to do it against the Bills. And I don't think he's going to be able to go mano a mano against uh, the against Josh Allen. What are your thoughts on this game? Well, it's interesting because I feel like um... – this is kind of setting it up for where this this could kind of be like his 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 flu game almost. You know what I mean? Like this could be like his uh his his homeboy's not a C moment. though. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be seeing two different receivers actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like if if he's able to go, um, I think he's gonna obviously want to push to be on the field. But like you said, if I'm Kansas City, this is one of those situations where you kind of have to think long-term and short-term at the same time, but you kind of have to think about like, okay, yes, this is a chance to go back to back, you know, good back to the Super Bowl, us to, you know, potentially win back to back Super Bowls, you know, make Super Bowl history here. But at the same token, it's like, yo, like this dude is our future. And this guy is our franchise quarterback. How much of a risk do we want to make here? And not only, like you said, risking him to another potential injury, but, risking him to eat maybe some future damage that could make this uh long-term engagement that we have with him become a short one because it's like with, with the nfl there's so much turnover because like there's so many how many times do we see a team that's been dominant or been like a playoff team <clears throat> jacksonville jaguars and then all of a sudden fall off a cliff <laughs> the very next year and years after so i mean we say it so many different times this team is going to be this and this team's going to that, that or a team that like like the like remind me of the carolina panthers when they lost in the super bowl to denver people thought that they were going to be right back in the super bowl but they never got back they never even got close to being back so i mean i think that you kind of have to take hold of this because it's it's like I was watching a documentary on how the Buffalo Bills made it to four straight Super Bowls. And when you put that into perspective, like that's one of the most craziest things to ever think about, because it's hard to even get to one Super Bowl. But the fact that they got there to four straight Super Bowls is insane. And I mean, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs and a team who has been thirsty for winning and finally got back to the Super Bowl, you're going to want to see Mahomes suit up and play for you to get the chance to get right back to where you were just a year ago. So I think that he's going to be pushing the play. Whether or not he does, I think we'll have to wait and see. But ultimately, if he plays, 
I think that he's going to have the game of his life. I think he's going to go out there and he's going to put on a performance that's like, yo, that is crazy. This man, and it, and like he had an injury like last season where he injured his knee and he was supposed to be done for like a he month. He dislocated his knee. Yeah, he dislocated his knee. And I still don't back. know how he came back from that. <laughs> and so, I and mean, proceeded like, to throw like... 30 touchdowns yes exactly that's what i'm saying like this dude mahomes like he has been injured before but he's no stranger to bouncing back from an injury and making it look like he can still play at 100 percent. so i don't know if he's able to do that with this concussion because concussion is you know totally different thing than a dislocated knee but even saying that that's just crazy that he had a dislocated knee and still led his team to a super bowl and made it look like it was nothing so i'm expecting him to play I'm expecting him to go out there and ball. I'm not saying that the Bills are a trash team by any means. I'm not saying that they won't be able to hang with them. But this game is going to depend on whether Josh Allen is going to be the Josh Allen we saw all regular season or he's going to go back to being Josh Allen that we've seen in the past. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see these young guns go at it if, the, if that's the matchup that we get. And I'm just hoping that we get ourselves a good game and that uh, it comes down to the wire. Ultimately, I think that the Chiefs win by a touchdown. And they put themselves a ticket back to the Super Bowl. So if Mahomes is cleared in 100%, then I do have the Chiefs winning it. If he's like not I- cleared, then I think that they do lose. But I think that it will still be relatively close. That that I could definitely see, just given with how the Bills offense has been this last in the playoffs so far <laughs> yeah, this year. Exactly. But I also forgot that Mahomes also has a toe injury, so that could affect his running uh, abilities as well. But like I said... I don't think Mahomes is going to play. I mean, call me crazy if you want to, but I mean, all you sports bettors out there, go get the Bills money line right now <laughs> and before they announce that Mahomes is out because once once they announce he's out, the Bills are going to be favorites and less money to be made. But that's why Mahomes plays Chiefs. No Mahomes, I'm going to go Bills. All right, let's move on. We got some NBA news. We actually got a quite a bit of NBA news. Let's start off with Karis LeVert on our emergency podcast last week. If you guys didn't check that out, make sure you guys do check that out because we talked about the James Harden trade to the Brooklyn Nets. But in that trade, Karis LeVert was traded to the Indiana Pacers, and the trade was set to be completed pending all the players' physicals. Everyone passed their physical except Karis LeVert. They ended up finding a mass in his left kidney. Kidney. The Pacers still agreed to go through with the trade. I think they got a second round compensation from Brooklyn, but uh, Lavert he's going to be sidelined indefinitely. And he said that he has to put basketball on the side, no matter what, and uh, no matter how painful it is to do so. But just think about it, man. If this trade never would have went through, like nobody would have known about his mass in his kidney. And I mean, I don't, I don't want to be like. I'm, mm-hmm. I, obviously, we want to be optimistic, but masses mm-hmm. can be cancerous. So, I mean, this trade in the grand scheme of things potentially saved his life. Yeah, yeah, it did. That, and that's what we were talking about on uh, on Twitter. Because, I mean, when, when you think about, like, I, I'm just curious. Like, everybody says, like, nobody knew. But I'm wondering if somebody did know. Because, I mean, these athletes are in and out. And especially with COVID, they have to get you know tested and they have to get checked out so i'm wondering but they they, they found yeah. the mass through mri so oh, okay, i mean okay, I, okay. I i really don't 
I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets didn't know because I don't think something of this magnitude they would just let it slip because this is a player's life and this is literally yeah. an organization. You can be sued for this shit. Yeah, can, I mean, so I don't I don't think they would mess with stuff like not. that. I would hope not. That's all I'm saying. But right. ultimately, I feel like this maybe adds a whole nother angle into the James Harden trade now. Right. Because it's like, you know, depending on what we see, like I am hoping and praying that this, you know, allows Karis LeVert to still be the same player after he's had, you know, his surgery and is able to, you know, uh, get back on the court. But ultimately now, like with him being like, you know, sideline, we'll see how this affects him in the, uh, in the near and distant future. But, but I just feel like this, you know, kind of makes the deal more so uh, even more of a, of a win kind of for, for Brooklyn, because, you know, who's to say that like, you know, he, he could have been, you know, donezo for like the next you know few years or whatever, and you can you have just an asset that you can no longer you know trade or you know he's just sitting there and his contract could have expired and you wouldn't been able to use him. So in a way, them being able to trade him, I know that you know hurt some uh, Brooklyn fans that you lost that debt, but you know being able to to use that in order to get a player like James Harden is kind of like yo, that's crazy. Yeah, and currently. Uh, Levert is in his first year of his three-year $52.5 million contract. So hopefully, like you said, he's all right and it isn't as major as we're making it to be and he'll be back on the court soon. Absolutely. But another team that is having to deal with a lot of injuries is the Trailblazers. Two of the best three Trailblazers will be out for a while. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic and CJ McCollum will miss an extended period of time with their injury. Yusuf Nurkic fractured his wrist on January 14th against Pacer, had to get surgery to repair it, and now he'll be reevaluated in six to eight weeks. So he's due to miss at least 23 games. And then uh, CJ McCollum, hurt his foot on two days later against the Hawks. And uh, they were calling it a sprain at first, but after additional tests, they revealed there was a hairline fracture. So he's going to be reevaluated in four to six weeks and is set to miss uh, 16 games. So it's pretty crazy, especially given with McCollum. McCollum's having a career year, averaging career high in points, assists, and steals. And then Nurkic, on the other hand, has actually had a really slow start to the year. Isn't even averaging double digits in points and rebounds, which he's done in the past two years. But currently, the Blazers are sixth in the West with a record of eight and six. But Corey, what's next for the Blazers after with this whole situation? Damian Lillard MVP, bro. Oh <laughs> Damian Lillard MVP. That's what's next for the Blazers, bro. It's time. To, it's time for Dame time, bro. I mean, yo, did you see how Dame was talking to that reporter? Yo, he had the serious of serious faces, and he was literally staring that man in the eye, like, "Yo, I remember you was saying that we wasn't the best, one of the best backcourts in the league." And he was like, "No, I was just saying." And he was like, "Oh, okay, okay." So. Uh, yeah, I think this is Damian Lillard's time to officially stamp himself as a potential MVP candidate. I know it took a long time for people to realize that he was an all-star caliber player and he finally got the all-star nod. Now this might be his chance to be like, look, yo, my two, two, my two best players are out. It's time for me to go ahead and go ahead and try to see if I can carry this team into the playoffs and see if I can get that MVP award because I told you before the season, I said, 
I, 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 I'm going to go along with everybody saying Luca is the favorite to go ahead and win it, but don't sleep on D Lil. And with these two guys going down with the injury, the Blazers either need to make a trade for the guy we going to talk about next, or they need to um, really think about how they can maybe, you know, move around this roster in order to help uh, Dan get some help while these two guys are out. But other than that, I really don't see anything drastically changing in the next you know, few weeks or, you know, before the trade deadline or anything like that. So I feel like Dame's going to have to, going to have to do what he did in the bubble, put the team on his back and even more so no CJ. Now he's going to have to just go ahead and go crazy game after game after game and put himself in that MVP conversation. Yeah, but he had CJ and Nurkic in the bubble. That's the big (laughs) difference. So I think, I think it's going to be a long one to two months for the Blazers because without McCollum or Nurkic, more more so McCollum, given what how he's been, defenses are going to be honing in on Damian Lillard and forcing the guys around him to beat them, basically, and which, based off of this season so far, that has not worked outside of uh, Dame Lillard and McCollum. So, I mean, this team, it, it was crazy because in the beginning of the season, we're talking about how overwhelming this bench is like was how many players that they had and are they going to be able to rotate these guys enough? And now we're talking about, in my opinion, I don't think they have enough quality players to pick up the slack for McCollum and Nurkic because they lost Zach Collins to an ankle surgery at the beginning of the season. And then now McCollum and Nurkic and I think getting Ennis cancer and Robert Covington this off season definitely helps the Blazers with the rebounding and interior defense standpoint. So I think that that's what they'll be missing from Nurkic, but offensively they're going to need big contributions from their backup guards Gary Trent Jr. Anthony Simons and Rodney Hood and now Carmelo can get up his more shots he can have those opportunities (laughs) to become hoodie mellow um but I I just I don't see the trailblazers I honestly think they're gonna they're not gonna fall way off they're still gonna be in the playoff hunt but I just don't see them being the trailblazers and I can see them floating around the eight to ten seed and honestly, maybe even lower with how stacked the West is. But I, I see them floating around there because I just don't think Damian Lillard's going to be able to do it all by himself. Even if even if he's putting up 40, 50 points a game, I still don't think that translates to wins just because one guy can't do it all. And really all I see right now is Dame. Uh, that's going to – it's all going to be on his head basically. And, I mean, this team could go the trade route and trade for a back – backup uh, center quality backup center because after Ennis Kanter it's really Harry Giles and it's like that was more of a project piece you didn't expect him to be such a huge yeah. role so I mean it'll be interesting to see how the Blazers approach it because I mean they have a lot of big men in Cleveland so maybe they go and trade for one of the Cleveland big men but maybe they even trade for uh, a guy uh, from the Cavs by the name of Kevin Porter because uh, the Cavs already said that they're trading him or waiving him the their 2019 first round pick after his outburst in the locker room it was reports that kevin porter who finally rejoined the team after being away from the team for quote-unquote personal reasons he was yelling at the Cavs gm kobe altman after finding out he had to move lockers after the team had given his locker to newly acquired torian prince who they got in the james harden trade and uh, I believe his new locker was like with the players who were at the end of the bench. So he got yeah. mad and he apparently threw food across the locker room in anger. So I don't know what's going on with throwing food in Cavs locker rooms. J.R. Smith. Yeah, J.R. <laughs> Smith throwing soups at the Cavs assistant coach a few years ago. So I don't know what the hell is going on in the Cavs locker room. But the Cavs have come out and said that they're trying to trade Kevin Porter uh, this past weekend. They were trying to do it but nothing really, no traction was gained. So if there's no trade that happens, he'll end up 
being waived, but what's your thought on this Kevin Porter situation? Um, he's definitely got a lot going on off the court, which is one of the reasons why a lot of people said he has so much talent on the court. Cause I remember him at USC and I remember that he had, you know, a decent, you know, uh, game on the court. I remember like a lot of people saying like, Oh man, this dude is like, he's, he's tough. He's a dog. And, you know, he's going to be, you know, something special in the NBA. But I think what a lot of uh, draft analysts said, if you pick him, you have to take in consideration his maturity and a lot of different stuff he has off the court. I know he recently had a situation where he crashed his car because he had a DUI and uh, there's an alleged, uh, you know, domestic violence pending issue that he potentially has to, you know, figure out. So there's a lot of baggage that comes with going after a player like this, but the talent is so, so scary that he possesses. So it's like, he, he definitely has the tools in play to be a serviceable NBA player. And even maybe even potentially a budding uh, all-star caliber type player. It's just that you hope that the maturity kind of shapes up because you can't have guys doing this. And I and I totally agree with the Cavaliers in this situation because it's like, I understand you're frustrated that, you know, you were away and, you know, your locker got moved and, you know, it's not, you know, where you want to be, but you can't, you know, just act like a petulant brat, you know, a child and, you know, throw food and, you know, go at the GM. You're, you know, that's your boss right there, like in public like that. Like if you want to have a conversation with, you know, Kobe or you want to have a conversation with the coach, do it in private, do it in private, talk to them one-on-one, ask them what's going on, ask them what's up. And instead of having an outburst like this now, I don't know what the full situation is or, or, you know, what was said back and forth, but it had to be a situation where he said something did. And obviously he did something that was like, yo, bridge burn. We want this guy gone. We'll even, we'll give him, and, and, you know, Cavs are willing to really just give him away for almost damn near nothing. So uh, it's just crazy how you go from being a first round pick to now you might be scrapped away from, from your team for, for, for anything and everything. They're willing to just get rid of the guy. I don't want him. So I just think that he needs someone to just take them under their, their, their wing and just be able to sit him down and help him understand that, look, dude, this ain't college. This ain't high school. You not that dude no more. You have to figure it out. And you kind of have, and you just can't, I mean, cause there's a difference obviously with Kyrie saying like, Oh, I'm going to step away for the game for personal reasons and yada, yada, yada. On one end, people are not going to be happy about that, but he can Especially when you seen him it. at his sister's birthday party. Right, right, right. But he can get away with it because his name is Kyrie Irving. Yeah. It's like when you have personal, you know, things going on in your life and you can't be on the court and your name is Kevin Porter and, you know, you're still a guy trying to still make a name for himself to the casual NBA fan. It's like, who? It's like they don't, they still don't know you yet. So it's like, dude, like until you can get your name up there to where you can, you know, get away with that type of BS and get away with that type of stuff, you really need to kind of just play cool and not, you know, potentially almost throw your career away because this could be like no team over the weekend wanted to even get involved with that. So that's yeah. kind of scary that it's like, yo, nobody even wanted to throw their, their hat in the ring. So, I mean, honestly, I think that a team that like, you know, I just mentioned that 
could use his talent would be the the Portland Trailblazers because it's like we were just talking about they could need somebody who's like a slashing type uh, wing player that could take some of the pressure off because he did average about 10 points a game when he was with Cleveland playing like 50 or so games for them last season and I think that could be some added scoring that could help out and especially now where you don't have to worry about CJ you could maybe even get a little bit more touches if you're Kevin Porter alongside with Damian Lillard and, you know, the rest of the guys there, but you kind of have to play it cool. And also apparently I didn't know this, but Carmelo Anthony and him are, are kind of cool and they have a little bit of a relationship. So maybe Melo can, uh, you know, take him under his wing and, you know, tell, you know, kind of show him the ropes a little bit. Not, you know, I'm not, I don't know if Melo's that type of guy or whatever, but I, I would hope that like, you know, Melo would see the talent and the potential that he has and, you know, be at least willing to take a chance because that's what it's all about at the end of the day with, you know, you, you see a guy who is younger than you at the same time, you would just want to, you know, give him some guidance. And I think that's what he's searching for and he really desperately needs. And I think if Carmelo Anthony could do it, that would be, you know, leaps and bounds for not only Kevin Porter's career, but it could even blossom to where it could help them go from being, like you said, a fringe playoff team to a legitimate scary threat. Yeah. I mean, First of all, I thought when the Cavs got him in 2019, they got an absolute steal at mm-hmm. number 30 in the first round. And like you said, in his rookie year, he averaged 10 points in just 50 games, which is great for a rookie. But I, I think I think he was what I don't know if his mental what his mentality was, but I think he thought he deserved more minutes than what he was getting at the same time, too. But when right. you have guys like Colin Sexton and Darius Garland ahead of you, it's tough to give you give more minutes uh, with those guys ahead of you. But and I also think that was a thing with uh, USC. I just thought he was always put himself on a pedestal that he he just thought he was better than what he was. And th- this is again, I'm not saying that he's not good, but he only spent one year at USC and averaged nine and a half points per game. And that's why he went at, dropped down all the way to number 30, because I think if he would have stayed one more year, his draft stock would have been, they would have skyrocketed and he could have been a top 10 pick easy, maybe even top five pick. Cause this dude's a walking bucket. And, and, and I think he was basically just going off of the fact that he was a high school phenom. And that's why a lot of people knew mm-hmm. about him and were talking about him. But in the NBA, even if you know you're not getting the treatment you think you deserve and you're only a second year player and you just miss some games due to personal reasons you kind of got to prove to the coach and the team that you're worth more minutes and like you said you can't be acting like a brat and throwing hissy fits in the locker room just because you don't get it the way you want and you're moving lockers for a veteran player so I think that's the professional and business side uh, of the NBA that that some 20 year olds don't understand like Kevin Porter so I I don't want to write him off just exactly 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 because he like i said he's only 20 and his upside is absolutely insane for this kid but off the court like you said is the big concern but like i said even though i said all what i just said i still think this dude is a bucket getter at 20 years old and given the right opportunity i think he can be a vital piece for a team and help them uh get him over the hump and I think he can he may not be able to do that maybe in the next year or two, but I think in the future, if he continues to work and polish his game, I think he can definitely be a player. A lot of some of the players that he reminds me of is actually like a J.R. Smith, kind of like the Nuggets. And and I and I know just because the incident, it's 
<laughs> not because of the incident. But no, I, no. It's just ironic. Yeah, but, it is. But like the Nuggets, J.R. Smith or New York Knicks, J.R. Smith would dude would literally take dudes off the dribble, pop threes in their face, and he had insane athleticism. And then Jamal Crawford a little bit because of his finesse and craftiness, um, but I, just more of an athletic one. And then also even you could say Zach Levine coming straight out of uh, UCLA. He reminded me of that because Zach Levine now was definitely not the Zach Levine oh, we no. thought he would be. So, oh, no. um, and for me, I think a couple of teams that could use a bucket getter and teams that have veterans on their, on their team that can definitely help Kevin Porter, uh, you know, show him the, the ropes of the NBA on and off the court is a team like the Warriors. They're missing Clay Thompson. They have Steph Curry and they, they really don't have anybody off the bench to, to help get them that scoring. I mean, Damian Lee, Jordan Poole, like, those guys aren't the answer for you if you want to compete in the playoffs. I mean, you have James Wiseman, you have Draymond Green, Kelly Oubre, Andre, or Andrew Wiggins, Steph Curry. So it's like, who do you really have off the bench? You know what I'm saying? Like, you have Eric Yeah, Castell. they're top-heavy. Yeah, they're very top-heavy exactly. as far as their starting lineup. And then another team, I, I have a couple more teams. The Rockets, I would just say, because that could be a project piece, and they can kind of move on from Eric Gordon. He can kind of slip into Eric Gordon's role, and they can move on from him. Or and- Oladipo, yeah. Yeah, or Oladipo, or then the the Phoenix Suns. I think they definitely Ooh. need that score off the bench because really right now yeah. the backup guards, they, they're very forward-heavy backup because they have Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, but, I mean, they really don't have any backup guards who Langston Galloway. Like, come on, that's, <laughs> not, that's not the guy you want helping you in the play. And that's not a knock against him, but it's no, like really. No, no, I get you. I get you. I get you. And I definitely think guys like, a, a guy like CP3 could definitely show him the ropes, uh, given that he's the NBA PA president. So I, I definitely think that the Suns would be a great fit for him as well. But you know what's crazy, Kush? Uh, let's say, for instance, that Cleveland waves him. If you're Rob Palenka, do you just lick your chops and just go ahead and just sign no. up for it? No, 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 no. Because <laughs> if, I mean, if I'm like, the Lakers, like. If I'm the Lakers, why would you do that? Because you have a team that has gelled so well, just came off a championship. Like, yes, if he ends up blossoming, then great. You have another weapon off your bench. But worst case scenario, what if he doesn't? And now you have these guys going up against each other in the locker room because he's maybe telling some players this, some players that, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, you don't want that bad energy in a locker room, especially if you're coming off a championship. And you basically, you have a big old target on your back already being NBA champions. So it's like, well, how do you want to bring more publicity to you? And if it's bad publicity as well, I would just say, because um, while yes, the Lakers have like a lot of depth and they made like a lot of free agent signings, I guess like the, what some people are kind of arguing is the fact that as the season goes along, you expect at some point an injury or two is going to happen. Not like, you know, anything crazy, not like, you know, like a crazy long-term injury or anything like that, but what if they lose out on some death or something like that? And we know like the regular season is just trying to get through that grind. So that way you can just get through the playoffs and be able to get to the, the final you know stages of the season uh, uh, before the playoffs start, you know, those few games for the regular season, get everybody back healthy and just start trying to, you know, get the team ready to, to gear up for the postseason. I'm just saying that like you go through that stretch where you're relying on, you know, uh, a guy like THT um, and maybe you have like Kevin Porter, like I said, maybe you just bring them on. So that way you can see what you maybe potentially have with them and maybe just try to flip him for something else or, you know, 
you know, but like you said, you don't really. I think I think there's I think there's better options that are high risk, risk, low reward rather Mm -hmm. than Kevin Porter, who is high risk, high reward. Oh, yeah. Like, so I think I mean, you have guys like Isaiah Thomas, who's still there in free agency. Yeah, you have guys like Tim Frazier or I mean, there's a lot of people that you could trade for as well more polished guys yeah that that have a low risk that that's the route i would definitely go especially if you're already a contending team like the lakers the bucks the nets the clippers like those teams i i wouldn't try to mess up what they have in the locker room just for like potential upside in the future you know what i'm saying what last team last team that we'll uh talk about what about the raptors because there's been a lot of talk about like siakam is not like a legitimate closer for them he's not like a legitimate number one he kind of got exposed last year after uh they uh let Kawhi after Kawhi pretty much you know left them um for the Clippers uh Siakam had to become the number one guy and he kind of wasn't able to fulfill that role or make up that role that Kawhi kind of left vacant so I mean if Kevin Porter was able to kind of come in uh maybe he's able to take a little bit of pressure off. I'm not saying that like he would be like their second guy. Absolutely not. That's not what you want, but he would be like somebody who could add a little bit of depth and maybe you develop him similar to like how you develop OG Ananobi. Maybe you develop him how like you've developed Fred Van Fleet. So, I mean, like the, I feel like the Raptors is another one of those teams that they develop so much talent from within the draft and from within their own organization that they could maybe take a chance on a guy like that. And it wouldn't take a whole lot to even get them. They could get them, you know, give up one of those guys on the bench and maybe like a second round pick or whatever uh, to the Cavs in order to get them and be able to add, like I said, that slasher, that uh, guy that can create some offense off the bench, another, just another aspect and another dangerous scorer that they desperately need right now, because, like you said, because at the start of the, uh, before the season started, the Raptors are not really looking like a team that a couple of years ago won a championship. I could definitely see the Raptors doing something like that just because the guys off the bench like Norman Powell have not been playing up to expectations. They've been playing right. really low. But I think, like I said in the preseason, that the biggest downfall for this team is, yes, they lost Kawhi, but they were still a good team. They lost Marcus All and Ibaka. They have a gigantic hole at that center position. And I knew that Aaron Baines was not going to be able to fill that <laughs> hole. And they brought Alex Len. They just waved him. Chris Boucher is an absolute monster. And I mean, I think uh uh Nick Nurse just needs to absolutely unleash him and just yeah. let Chris yeah, Boucher go like, loose. Because yeah, yeah. he he's a beast, but I mean Outside of Siakam and Boucher, Boucher, is, I wouldn't even say he's a center. I would say he's more like a power forward who can stretch right. the floor as well, too. So it's like, who is that raw big man that you need? And I don't think Aaron Baines is the answer. So I think they have more dire needs than uh, like score off the bench. But I could definitely see Kevin Porter fitting in with that offense, especially with a guy like Kyle Lowry, such a friendly, nice guy who has been in the league for however long he's been. I think. Kyle Lowry can definitely take him under his wing and, uh, you know, show him the ropes as well. Like I said, Chris Paul would do in Phoenix. All right, but that's going to wrap up this episode of the Nosebleeds. We appreciate y'all for listening. As always, make sure y'all are following us on social media because if you ain't, what are y'all doing? Come on now. Uh, We're on Twitter at the underscore Nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. And then on Instagram at the Nosebleeds. On Facebook, look up the Nosebleeds podcast. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, shoot us a five-star review. Um, Helps us out a lot. But any last words, Corey? Uh, just really excited for this Sunday. We're going to get 
really two interesting matchups with Bucks versus Packs, Brady versus Rodgers. Wish it was the Super Bowl, but hey, I'll set up for a conference championship. And Josh Allen, hopefully, versus uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Bills and the Chiefs. So, I mean, excited for football, early NBA season going down. Um, but we got Kyrie's also, first appearance. Oh, yeah. On Wednesday. Yeah. We get first ever appearance of the new big three in Brooklyn. So, I mean, can't wait to see how they're going to be looking for the first five to six, seven games or so, because that's kind of like where we get to see all the early stages of will this kind of work? And I'm curious to see whether or not their first game, how they look and how they look going forward for the rest of the way. It'll definitely be interesting. Well, that be out. Deuces.